Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest Mark Leverage podcast, this one being for February 2016. Well, the weather's been, in the UK anyway, has been unremittingly wet. We've had floods, we've had uh, rain, it seems, almost every day for weeks and weeks, although I have to say that it does pale into compar- in comparison to the terrible weather that um, the United States has had. So you guys over in the States with all your... Uh, snow uh, makes our rain look pretty pathetic but whenever I think of snow and I think of February I always think of the Blackpool Magic Convention Uh, it's a funny thing if you were if you were actually going to set out to uh, arrange an international magic event and you were looking to put it somewhere at a time of year that would encourage people to come Blackpool right by the sea in the north of England in February, at the end of February, probably wouldn't be your first choice, would it? And yet it is amazingly successful. And uh, despite, I suppose it's because that magicians don't actually really notice the weather too much. We, we go into the, the winter gardens and we come out three days later blinking in the, I was going to say sunlight, in the rain. And we probably haven't noticed that much what the weather's been like. But it always seems cold and wet or threatening snow and will we be able to get to Blackpool or not? Um, anyway, it's on again this year. And um, and I've been going as a dealer to the, to the uh, Blackpool Magic Convention probably for at least 30 years. But this year I'm not actually going. I'm not having a stand anyway. Let's put it that way. I will be attending the convention for a couple of days. I'm going on the setup day on Thursday and I'll be staying for about 24 hours, going home Friday evening. Uh, I have a few people I need to see and one or two things I need to do. But I'm not actually going to have a dealer stand this year. And uh, it's been something I've been considering for some time because I have so many things that I need to squeeze into into my working life um, that I'm having to reassess some of the things that I do in order to make sure I can do everything to the standard that I would want to do it. And one of those things is... Is it worth taking four or five days out of my schedule to attend Blackpool? So I'm trying an experiment. I'm going to, uh, as I say, pop up for 24 hours, but I won't be having a stand so that I can get on with various other things that I need to do. So if you're going to Blackpool, don't go to the naughty corner because I won't be there. But you could go to the Magic Scene stand. Magic Scene will definitely be there. And they have the stand in their usual place next to where I normally am. And I will be hovering around the Magic Scene, making sure the guys are are okay. Um, So if you want to catch me, you may catch me around there. But failing that, if you're going to the Blackpool Convention, I hope it's a fantastic... It looks like the lineup looks great. So I hope you have a fantastic time. And uh, and that you get everything out of it that you wish. I was having one of my lengthy uh, telephone chats with my friend Paul Prager the other day. And one of the subjects that we were talking about was how we both, in certain situations, will um, adapt our style of performing depending on the audience that we're performing for. Um, Now, I think what we're talking about here is not so much selection of material although the tricks that you choose may well vary. I mean, obviously, if you're doing a children's show, what you're going to perform be entirely different than you're doing uh, an adult cabaret show. So it's not the actual um, material itself. It's if you're, let's say, doing close-up, and at one gig you may be entertaining at a solicitor's dinner, 
the next it may be a i don't know a factory works christmas party at another it might be a, a private party with just a few people and i think the uh, what paul and i both felt that we did almost without realizing it is that we we changed our approach slightly depending on the people that we were finding sitting watching us and i mean you can't always tell of course but i think when you particularly when you do close up you get very close to your audience you can see how they react to for instance your sense of humor even to your accent uh, of your voice in terms of how much well they understand you and tune into what you're saying um and it's quite an interesting thing this and i hadn't really analyzed this before but what i do tend to do this i realized that um for instance obviously if i'm performing for um elderly people i will slow down what i say i tend to speak very fast especially when i'm performing i get excited as we do and uh, i gabble away and um and so I, I try to make a conscious effort to slow down my delivery because i realize that if somebody's hard of hearing and i'm gabbling away and making gags and, and asides and remarks and they're not reacting it's not necessarily that they don't they're not enjoying it or they don't understand what i'm saying it's more they can't hear they can't pick it up quickly enough to in order to to sort of react properly so i find i adjust the way that i perform and i can always remember um many years ago um when i first started to do lectures abroad and uh, i was talking to trevor lewis who um was very experienced in in entertaining all over the world and also in particularly doing lectures and i said um is there any advice you can give me uh, when the the audience may not be sort of english speakers and he that was his advice he said the thing you need to do more than anything else is to slow down your delivery and if you make a gag or you make some funny comment don't rush on wait for the reaction he said because often people are translating what you've just said into their heads into their own language and they think oh that's funny and then they laugh so there can be a few seconds delay and i always remember that advice i thought that's really good advice and i ever since then i've tried to do that when i'm abroad in a country such as in scandinavia where their english is superb but it's obviously for most people it takes them just a few moments to clock what it is that you're saying now in a in a slightly lesser to a slightly lesser extent i suppose that's what i'm doing with with the shows that i do My, the humor that i use um and the gags and the way that i say them i will actually change them depending on who the audience is um and i find that in, an intelligent audience will laugh at certain things and those who are perhaps slightly more challenged in that area will laugh at different things and when you do a lot of performing I think you kind of sense where you are with your audience even from table to table it can vary when you have a very large works do you can have everybody from the managing director down to the guy who sweeps the floor well those two groups may well be very different in the way they react to what you do so I think if you can be sensitive to the way you perform and what you say and how you deliver it then it helps you to for them to tune into you and for you to get the best reaction out of them So do you do that? Do you do you change the way that you perform or do you just perform exactly the same depending on who the uh, no matter who the group is that you're you're speaking or entertaining? Have you ever thought about it even? You know I think as magicians we're incredibly lucky in the fact that we are one of the few performers who can incorporate members of the audience actually into our acts 
Now, you do see ventriloquists occasionally, just very occasionally, when they use those um, sort of remote mouthing sort of things they put on spectators. But, but as a general rule, magicians are one of the few, if, if the own, perhaps the only form of entertainment where we actively get often people out of the audience. And if you do a stand-up act and you get a spectator out to help you, quite often those are for key routines in your show. They're real feature ones and the amount of humour and by-play and the extra dimension that having a spectator up gives us as magicians should not be underestimated. Um, in fact, it can be sometimes, I would say, even a make or break in terms of your act. If you if you can get the right spectators up and you treat them in the right way, they can add to certainly from the audience's point of view, a huge amount to your act and to the enjoyment that the audience gets from your act. On the other hand, of course, treat your your um, sort of assistants on stage badly and you can turn an audience against you, of course, because they would see the spectator who comes up on stage as one of them. And so if you as the magician make them look foolish or you embarrass them in a way that the audience feels, ooh, that was a bit, that was a bit harsh, then you, you, you can get yourself into trouble. But assuming that you treat them right and that you use spectators sensitively, aren't we lucky to have this huge sort of aid to people enjoying what we do? I mean, I know that uh, certainly when, when, when I do stand-up, and I don't do a great deal of it, but when I do do stand-up, um, I like to... I don't have people up helping all the time, of course, but I do like to get certain spectators up. And one of the the, the best performance pieces that I do in my stand-up comes at the end of my act, and I have five spectators um, up helping me. And it is all to do with the interaction between the spectators and between me and them that makes the trick successful. The trick itself is simple and uh, and it's it's you know entertaining enough in its own right i guess but it would it be absolutely nothing without all the spectators up um helping me with it and uh, i really appreciate um having that power if you like to augment what i do by getting people up to help and even in a close up situation um at tables or in mix and mingle look at the number of times that we we make um, sort of comments or jokes with spectators and they sometimes then come back with something funny themselves again you know they are helping the rest of the people to enjoy what we do and um, and sometimes you'll go to a group or a table where there is somebody who is a fantastically funny person and has all sorts of things that they can say and you think blimey He's funnier than I am, quite frankly. So I'm not going to stop him as long as I have overall control of where this this you know performance is going, where this show's going. I'm quite happy for him to make the gags and and to be funny because he's joining in. He's he's increasing the impact of what I do and helping people to enjoy more what I do. So we really are lucky, aren't we? And we should treat our spectators as the little gems that they are because it's often them that decide whether we're going to be successful in our show or not. How often do you reckon you bring a, a new close-up trick 
into your working repertoire. And I'm not talking about some trick that you buy at a convention and then you just practice up a bit and take it down the magic club to show it or show it to your family and friends. I don't really mean that. But I mean, if you work um, any sort of number of shows, um, particularly with, say, strolling magic or table hopping, then how often would you put a new item in? Because I think there's um, <laughs> there's a sort of a stress involved with this, isn't there? If If you've been performing for a while and you have... Um, a whole series of tricks which you know work almost under any circumstances and which um, you know will be effective, then it's really tempting to leave that as it is, isn't it? I mean, because why would you want to give yourself the stress of trying to introduce something that you don't know very well and which could potentially trip you up when you've got all this other stuff that you know really well? But the trouble is, I think, And I think this is particularly true for close-up magicians because we tend to repeat a relatively small number of tricks again and again and again each time that we go out to work. And then when we go to the next show, we'll repeat them again and again and again as well. So if you had a busy weekend, there are some tricks you might do 20 or 30 times. And uh, with the best will in the world, I think sometimes it's easy for you to get blasé with it, to get slap-happy with it or just simply get bored with doing it. So I must admit, very occasionally I like to try, especially if I've got something I think would work well, I've got something that I really want to try out, then I will take it with me. And I will try, if I can, to work it a few times that evening. What I found, though, is that if I don't do that new trick within the first, say, two or three tables... I'm probably not going to do it. I kind of lose the will to do it. Whereas if I do it early on and it goes well, then I'm encouraged to try it again. And if it goes well again, then suddenly it will become my favourite new trick. Uh, And then it can sometimes become part of my core routine. Of course, the trouble is you, you can only carry so many props with you, can't you? So... Uh, if it's a trick that requires some pocket space that is currently occupied with something else, then another decision that has to be made is, well, I want to try this new trick, but in order to do it, I'm going to have to leave out this this effect, which has been a staple of my performing armoury for so long. Do I want to do that? And that's another thing, I think, that can stop us from from making that change. To do this new one, I have to replace it, replace this one, which I really like. Mm, not sure I really want to do that. I mean, one way that I get round this is um, I always take a, a small extra bag with me, a sort of a man bag, if you like, and um, I have a few extra props in that, and I hide this bag in the performance room somewhere, and it has a few spares and, and extra tricks just in case I need them. But I tend to work normally completely out of my pockets. So if I've got a new trick to try and I need to replace a standard uh, item from my routine, I will take the props from that standard item, put it into my bag so that it releases the space for the new trick, try the new trick a few times. And if it's not going so well or I think, well, oh, this needs a bit more work, I need to rethink this, then I'll go to the bag and I'll just swap in my um, my normal sort of uh, well <laughs> well-known effect for the new one but uh, it's it's an interesting thing for me that, that even though I have a lot of experience I still I'm slightly reluctant to try new things and I think the other thing about it is that if you're being paid a lot of money to do to do a gig then you want to deliver of your best 
don't you? I mean, you want to live up to any possible expectation that the booker may have for you. And so that in itself, I think, produces a reluctance to to do stuff that that are not tried and tested because you're worried that if it starts to not quite go right, then it would undermine your confidence and might undermine if the wrong person sees a trick go slightly awry, then that might not be good for your reputation. So, well, he wasn't very good. If you only do two or three tricks at a table and one of them doesn't really work properly, then if the MD of, a, of the company or the person who booked you even is sitting on that particular table, you're just unlucky, then that could harm your reputation perhaps for future rebooks. So uh, I do like to try and freshen it up if I can if, because uh, it is boring if you if you do the same stuff the whole time. And sometimes when you try a new thing, you think, wow, this is amazing. And then you're happy to keep on doing it because it really is successful. And of course, you wouldn't have found that had you not tried it. Last month, I brought out my first uh, new release for 2016. And it's a trick called Six Appeal. And I'm really pleased with it um, because it's, I think, a very nice um, sort of mental effect for use in a close-up show or in a stand-up performance situation, either on a stage or in a sort of cabaret floor. Um, And it's uh, basically, the idea is that you you have an envelope which has one single regular-sized card in it. You take the card out, you don't show the face of it, you show the envelope empty, it can be examined, it's a regular envelope place the card back in the envelope, it's left in view. You then bring out six jumbo cards, which you freely show, both sides, and uh, in any way that you like, and this is one of the things I like about this trick, is that the presentation can be adapted to whatever happens to be your style. But essentially what happens is you get spectators to eliminate five of the jumbo cards until you're just left with one. And in fact, even when you get down to that one, if you want, and this is the way I tend to do it, you can give them the option to change that one for any of the, the five that have already been eliminated. But eventually you'll be left with one jumbo card. And when you remove the, the prediction card from the envelope, of course, it matches the jumbo. And what's nice about this is there's absolutely no force of any sort. There's no equivocate. There's there's nothing like that at all. It is a genuinely free choice, which gives you a total freedom when you're doing your presentation, how the the, um, various cards are eliminated. Um, And of course, it also means that uh, if you want to repeat it, and I've had at least two people who've bought it um, in the last uh, 30 days, they they actually want to use it going from table to table, which you can do. There is a small reset, which you need to bear in mind. only takes five seconds, but there is a little reset, which you can't really do very easily in front of people. But um, these people want to be able to repeat it. Uh, And because it's not a force, then the card that is chosen each time of the six is genuinely free. It could be different every time. So uh, not surprisingly, perhaps because it's a new release, it was my biggest selling trick this month. Um, There is a demo on the website. So uh, why don't you, uh, if you haven't um, sort of come across it yet, why don't you go and uh, have a watch and see if you like it? Because uh, it's it's straightforward to do and I think a very strong and clean effect. So that's new, first new release for this year. It's called Six Appeal. There's uh, a lovely country house hotel quite close to where I live in Devon which I uh, have worked at, fortunately, on, on many occasions. And um, it's a fairly small country house hotel. It doesn't have that many bedrooms. Uh, it's very upmarket, 
and um, it's a real delight to perform in. They have a, a couple of restaurant rooms, and it's a real delight to perform there. And for quite a few years, um, I, I've performed at um, around sort of Christmas, New Year time there. And um, these two sort of restaurant rooms, they have about, well, it depends on the, on the makeup of the, uh, of the sort of um, visitor groups or the guest groups. But they have about four or five tables in each room. And, uh, <laughs> and this creates a situation that you don't get at big functions and that is when I go in to do going from table to table and I go in to entertain a group because it's a small room there is virtually apart from a little bit of murmuring of conversation there's really no other noise they have no piped music it's not that kind of place there's no background because they're both two small um, sort of restaurant rooms there's no sort of nobody playing a piano or, or any other live music going on in the restaurant so when you go into a table uh, to present, um, you, you feel sort of exposed in the sense that the other tables, even though they're not actually probably watching you, although, of course, they often do sort of sneak a look, but they can hear absolutely everything that you say. And in a way, this isn't a problem. You just concentrate on the table you're with, perhaps. You do all your gags and all the rest of it. But, of course, you quickly realise that not only... Can you perhaps not repeat any of the tricks that you've done for the tables you've already performed at, but you also can't really repeat the lines that you've used? So you have to try and remember if you have random lines that are not actually a part of the presentation of a particular trick. Obviously, if you the lines that you use as part of a trick, if you do a different trick, those lines won't reappear. But there are lots of lines, and I'm sure we all have these, and I use loads of asides and comments, and uh, and depending on what happens or what mood takes me or what somebody says to me, I will come back with something. I've got to try and remember the ones that I've used, because if you start using them again at another table, not only does the, the table, the new table that you're at, they don't react so well because they've heard the line already, but the table that you've already performed at think, oh, has he only got a few lines then that he can say? It makes you look like you're sort of limited in, in your material. So um, I find that that's quite quite a challenge sometimes. I've been to a few other events as well. There's another hotel that, uh, that I've done on a fairly regular basis where I, I'm going to be doing the tables. I and mean, this is a big place. But before the tables, I have to do the drinks reception. And the drinks reception um, takes place in two lounge areas. And the same thing as in here, you'll have big sofas and um, sort of low coffee tables. And again, it's very quiet in there. And so the minute I go in to perform for one group, same thing happens again. So I really have to uh, concentrate with those types of shows. I mean, I really like doing them, but uh, it is more of a challenge because not only do I have to remember the tricks I've done, but also what I'm going to say. It's probably true to say that for a lot of lay people... Magic boils down to, how's it done? If you think about the way the media portrays magic, it's always uh, centres on the secret behind what the magician does. And yet, as magicians ourselves, we know that the secret, yes, it's of course, it's important, but that is often the smaller part of the general picture of what we do. Because if we are simply um, taking a trick and performing it adequately 
with no presentation, ju- literally just doing the secret, then we're not going to get many bookings, quite frankly, because it's just not entertaining. It's all the presentation and uh, and things that we put around it, how we routine the actual magical moment, how we point that up, all the other things that the audience management, all the other things that go into making a good rounded performance. This often completely bypasses the general public. And, and things like The Masked Magician, when that was on television years ago, was tapping into exactly that. The fact that for a lot of lay people, the secret is everything. And because of this, when you, when you chat to lay people uh, during a show, so you're doing a close-up show and they like to chat sometimes, and one of the most common questions that I found I get asked is, what do you do if something goes wrong? Like it's, do you go and slit your wrists or something like that, you know? And um, that's an interesting question. It's it's because everything that, that in their minds anyway, that, that everything boils down to what's the secret. If you inadvertently reveal that secret, then as far as they're concerned, what do you do? What's left? Well, of course, the answer is it doesn't make any difference half the time. I mean... We all know a situation where you'll perform a trick. You think, well, I, I that didn't do that very well. I flashed that or this didn't quite work. Half the time, the audience don't even notice. Uh, so if you go, oh, no, oh, well, that went wrong, then they'll notice. But if you don't say anything, you just carry on or change trick even or just make a joke out of it and move on. People don't actually really notice or don't realise anything dramatic went wrong. Um And I always feel the sort of answer that I tend to give is, well, you know, fortunately, I'm not a brain surgeon because if that goes wrong, then, you know, we're talking something serious here. It's just entertainment. I'll do my best to uh, to to fool you with what I do. But, hey, if you work it out, if that's how you get your enjoyment from what I'm doing, trying to work it out, that's fabulous. I don't mind. Um, And and I kind of play down the fact that the secret, ooh, the big thing, the secret, um, because I really don't think it's that important. Um, provided that you're you're working well and you're doing stuff, there are going to be spectators who will work out how a trick is done. Uh, and if you do make a mistake, then and if it's an irretrievable mistake, certainly from what I tend to do is I just laugh it off. I say, well, that didn't work very well, did it? I tell you what, let's try something else, and then just move on. Because I think if we as magicians don't make a big deal of it, then the lay people won't either. But it's an interesting question. Have you been asked that question? If so, how do you respond to it? Probably my um, favourite type of close-up show to do is one where I'm booked to attend a fairly small family gathering. It might be a birthday party or an anniversary or just a celebration of something within the family, passing of exams, a driving test, whatever it might be. And you go along and I usually do, say, three quarters of an hour of close-up magic all in one go to a group of might be anything from say 10 to 20 people sometimes a bit more but generally that's around about the sort of numbers we're talking about and it might be in somebody's house uh, it might be as it was uh, over the christmas period when i i did a show in, in some cottages that they were renting at the time uh, holiday cottages it can be in a in a room in a hotel but the core and the key thing is that it's a family group where everybody knows each other really well and there's often a wide wide age span you may have sort of kids up to granny and i really like the atmosphere that you can create uh, when you do these types of show Um, when you do a big public show 
there can be all sorts of reasons why your audience is not particularly relaxed. They may be in a in a place that they don't know. They may be sitting at a table with several people that they either don't like or they they don't they don't know them at all, so they feel slightly awkward. And, and when you approach as a, as a magician, yes, you know you can take their mind off their situation for a few minutes, but you may not get a homogenous group and and therefore a, a reaction of them all together. But usually with a family group. You do. And I absolutely love this, the intimacy of this. And I think we're very lucky as magicians to get invited into that sort of situation because our, our performance can, can be small and intimate and is therefore suitable for um, a, a small family group. Then we get to be involved in these happy occasions and the magic that we do, because it is so close, is very all-involving. It's not in any way ageist. It, it can be twisted and, and will suit everybody from, from granny down to, the ch- ch- down to the young children. And I think we're, we're, we're hugely lucky to have that facility to be able to, to entertain in that way. Um, and I, for one, um, I, I probably do, you know, I don't know, half a dozen to ten shows a year like that. And each time... I come away thinking, you know, how fantastic was that? It is they relaxed, you're relaxed, uh, and and the whole thing usually goes really, really well. So I, I can't get enough of those. I really, really enjoy them. Right. Well, another half an hour has whizzed by, and uh, thank you ever so much for listening to the latest podcast. Um, incidentally, if there's ever a topic that you would quite like me to talk about, then send me an email magic at markleverage.co.uk and just let me know um, and if I've got a view on something or I think it would be suitable for putting into the podcast I'm, I'm very happy to do so but in the meantime if you're going to Blackpool I, I may catch you if you're there in the 24 hours that I'm there other than that I look forward to being back with you again for another podcast next month bye for now <laughs>